0: And we have to take note, and we have to beware that we do not fall into that murmuring and that complaining spirit, because what these people complained about was a lie. They said there was no water. And if uh, you look there at verse 5, right at the end of the verse, for there is no bread, neither is there any water. Now, neither of this was true, Because if you read back in the earlier chapter, you'll find that God provided water out of a rock in a miraculous and amazing fashion. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gollerher, and I trust today the Lord will draw near and bless his word. We're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we're looking at that very simple illustration of saving faith, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The illustration given in Numbers chapter 21 is that when the children of Israel were bitten by serpents they were to look unto Jesus and be saved. What an amazing account. They looked to a brass serpent, and they were healed. Just the look, and that's illustrative of the gospel. By looking unto Jesus, trusting, putting our focus and our faith in the work of the Lord Jesus, we are saved from the plague of sin. That's the message that we're going to look at today. We also have a hymn, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. May that lead us to rejoice in the grace, the goodness, the saving power of the Lord Jesus. We turn today to begin with to Psalm 12, the psalm of treachery and the uh, vanity of man. Please hear this psalm as we read together. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own who is lord over us for the oppression of the poor for the sign of the needy now will i arise saith the lord i will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him the words of the lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them o lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Well, there's enough here to drive us to prayer, and we see the vilest of men in advancing in high places in our society, and we need to pray that God will deliver his people. Praise God for the purity of his word. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. And no doubt the man or woman who reads the Bible will be purified in thinking and desire. And I give out that challenge to you today. I heard a very marvellous testimony of a woman who was saved from the very vice of, of lesbianism and of ungodliness. And because she began to read the Bible, the Bible began to change her. And eventually she saw her sin, the nature of it, the wrath of God upon it, and fled to Christ. She became a Christian and is now serving the Lord. And this is the power of God's Word. It is a purifying Word to those that do put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And you can be saved today by coming to the Christ of the Bible— because he is the living word, and he will save you when you put your peace, your trust, and your confidence in him. So let's unite together, and we'll just bow in prayer for a moment, trusting the Lord to help. Father, we thank thee for thy blessings and for thy grace today, and we ask that you will draw near as we open the Bible and as we preach this message on looking unto the Lord Jesus for full salvation. Lord, will you grant that faith to each hearer today, and may you draw each one savingly to the cross of Calvary. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your daily provisions. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Back to Numbers 21, we're going to look at this incident of the brazen serpent, where the people who were bitten by the serpents were told and instructed to look to that brass serpent that was put upon a pole and that thereby they would be healed. Now, the wilderness uh, was a very in uh, and unkind place it would have been so much easier for these Israelites to pass immediately into the Canaan land, the land of milk and honey, the land of plenty, the land that was promised to them. But as you know, for 40 years, they were brought and led around in all directions through this arid, dry, and very uh, uninhabitable area by nature. And they were made totally dependent upon the supply of God for bread and water. Now, you and I, of course, would uh, love immediate glory, immediate heaven. We wouldn't be left to walk this world and all its ungodliness, all its sins, all its struggles, and all its problems, and there are times that we may be brought to weariness, and just like these people where we are told that their soul was much discouraged because of the way. If you would happen to be discouraged today, here's a word for you. Here's a word for your heart to bring you to, again, rejoice in all the supplies and the grace of God. Now, this account is about Israel complaining constantly. And we have to take note. And we have to beware that we do not fall into that murmuring and that complaining spirit. Because what these people complained about was a lie. They said there was no water. And if uh, you look there at Verse 5, right at the end of the verse, For there is no bread, neither is there any water. Now, neither of this was true, because if you read back in the earlier chapter, you'll find that God provided water out of a rock in a miraculous and amazing fashion. Right in the middle of a desert scene, God supplies through a rock and a veritable river of water flows to supply all the needs of the people. Then they also complained that there was no bread, and again, that was a lie because God did give them the manna on a constant daily supply basis. And they said, but we loathe this light bread. And of course, we are creatures that love variety. There is not many of us that have the same food for breakfast, lunch, and supper, and then we do that seven days a week and say, boy, was that good. Rather, we want to have something new, something different. But that's the danger for a Christian, because something new, something different is usually the very thing that God doesn't want for us. And this is a restless age when people want different things, new ideas, new notions, something even strange. No matter how ridiculous, there are fads and fancies that people follow, and in doing so, they end up grieving the Lord. Now, in verse 7, you'll notice that these people, after they were bitten by the serpents, which God sent, by the way, God sent these fiery serpents that would bite them and poison them, and from that many died. God sent these things, and the people came crying to Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? Pray to God for us. And Moses, challenged with the urgency of the need, indeed cried, unto God. The instructions came uh, that was given to Moses that he was to now make this brass serpent and fashion it, put it on a pole, lift it high, and all the people who were bitten by these snakes or serpents, that then they would live. Now, this certainly was good news. Now, we are told in John 3, the very chapter of the blessed good news of the gospel, that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as that serpent was put on a pole for all to see, our Lord Jesus was lifted up on a cross, and there He suffered, bled, and died, that you and I may be healed from our sin. And yes, our sin came from the serpent that old devil that has poisoned the human race with his venom and caused an awful plague and curse of sin upon our hearts. And that's why we have the sentence of death upon us. We are poisoned by sin. We are plagued by that inward curse that brings sorrow, sickness, death, just visit the hospitals. I'm amazed no matter what hospital I ever visit, they're always filled to overflowing with beds in the hallway, in the the emergency rooms. They have nowhere to go with all the sick and suffering people. And then you go to the cemetery and you find that death is an unending foe in every generation. And every one of us here today are under the sentence of death. We have been bitten by the serpent. We have the poison of sin within us, and we need a Savior. And here is the good news of the gospel. And I want you to firstly think of the source of this good news. The people had no answer. They were absolutely stumped on what to do. They cried to to, Moses, Moses, what are you going to do? Pray for us. And immediately Moses prayed, cried out to God. And we know in the verse eight that the answer came, the source was God's instruction. And this plan, and it's seeming strange. It seems that God is fighting like with like. And uh, this method of uh, people looking upon a a brass metal snake-like object fastened to a pole, and simply by looking to that object, that they would be saved. But here was the wisdom and the mercy of God all together. Now, sin came into the world by a serpent and by a curse. God has likewise designed what to many people in the world is a strange way of saving people by causing them to look to the man who is hanging on a tree as a curse. And when our Lord Jesus went to the cross, he became a curse for us. He was an object of curse. He was bearing the very load of our sin, and God treated him as a curse when he poured out his wrath upon him. The Bible says that cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, this scene of the brass serpent, therefore, is a gospel picture to us, and it's a proclamation of the gospel of salvation. And if you would be healed from the plague of sin, the very thing that will bring you to the grave and out into eternity forever and ever in God's eternity, you need to do what we looked at in Hebrews 12 to looking unto Jesus. And that's the very thing that defines a Christian from the non-Christian. That's the thing that defines the man or woman that is a true believer and the person who is worldly and a Christ rejecter, one who has no interest. The Christian can truly say that I am looking, my hope is based upon that scene, that work of my Redeemer, who on the cross suffered in my place, shed his blood, and died." Now men blaspheme the Lord Jesus. In fact, I was out on the doors on Thursday, and I came to a home where a young man came to the door and he said, I'm not really interested in, in this message. And somehow or other, the conversation went on a bit. And uh, he said, with all due respect, I, I just want to say that I'm not interested. I says, well, you respect me perhaps, but you obviously don't respect the God of heaven. And then he just launched out in a great tirade of blasphemy against uh, the God who has brought such suffering and sorrow into this world. I got a few words in, but not many. But the answer to that attitude is that the God who sent the serpents to bite the people The God who in his permissive will allowed sin into the world, devised a way to save his people from their sins, and not only planned it, but sent his son to execute it through agony and suffering and sorrow. And all who look unto Jesus are marvelously saved. And that's the truth. That's the wonder of it. That's the miracle of it. And here in this wilderness, the people that were bitten, each one who looked were saved. Now, when I read John 3 very carefully, it tells me that God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's verse 15. And then you have John three sixteen with the word for, because... And John 3.16 is the proof, the evidence that God is not out to condemn men or damn men. Indeed, the Bible says that He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And God is not that ugly ogre taking delight in, in creating and damning men and eternal perdition, but rather He is the God of grace. And the God who allowed Satan into the garden, allowed the human race to be poisoned by sin, the same God, the God of all grace, without obligation to us, while we were rebellious to Him and blasphemers to Him, yet God in His mercy devised, designed the cross and sent His Son, and upon Him God poured out His wrath. And therefore, the source of this is from God Himself, and we must recognize that to appreciate the very Savior and the grace that He's given. Now, in verse 8, I want you also to notice the channel of this good news. This was not directly communicated to the people. The people came to Moses and said, Moses, pray for us. And Moses, in turn, did go to God and pray. And God gave the instructions to Moses. There was this prophet, this Spokesman that God spoke unto him. He represented the people to God, and then when God gave him the message of how to be delivered from these uh, serpents' bites and the poison that was killing them, the message was given through Moses. Now, this again is a great parallel of God's way of dealing with his own son, the Lord Jesus. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Moses is a type of Christ in the sense that he was the mediator between God and the people. And God has given us his Son. And it tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 2, that in these last days, God hath spoken by his Son. And you remember when he was baptized, At the river Jordan, the voice came from heaven. The Father spoke, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. And that's the gospel. This is the channel by which God works. This is the means God has devised. And he has given everything unto his Son. Every spiritual gift in heavenly places. Every mercy, every peace, every way back to God. It's through his son. When you study the life of Joseph and you know that he was made prime minister in the land and he had the key to all the granaries, when people came looking for food and they were looking for grain, what did Pharaoh say? He said, go to, go to Joseph, go to Joseph. And when a sinner comes looking for mercy and salvation, what does God say to you today? He would say, go to Christ, go to Jesus. And that, of course, is the message, the good news, that there is a way, there is a person that God has ordained whereby you can be saved and you can be delivered from all your sin. He is the Word incarnate, and He is the very messenger of God to your soul. And that's how you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus, you accept Him, and you know that all the grace of God comes to you through him. I want to move on now to the purpose of this good news. Uh, Go back to verse 6 in this account in Numbers 21, and it says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people died. Notice that, they bit the people and much people of Israel died. The fact that they were fiery serpents is not so much that they were uh, glowing or that they had some kind of heat exchanger or some form of fire uh, venting from them, but rather that it it is the poison. The poison, once they bit into uh, their victim and the venom went through their system, uh, it just immediately Uh, flared up into a real rage and heat and immediate death uh, ensued. Now, Mr. Spurgeon, uh, preaching on this many, many years ago, he gave the account of a zookeeper in London Zoo who was bitten by a snake. And this happened in October 1852. And he said that this unhappy man was saying farewell to someone that was going off to Australia. And of course, in those days, anyone who went to Australia, it was highly unlikely they'd never, uh, never be back. And so they went drinking together. And of course, uh, bodies and friends may do this and think this is the way to say farewell. So they went off to the pub and uh, the zookeeper got absolutely stociously drunk. And uh, then he went back to the zoological gardens in London, back to his work. And uh, in his rage under the influence of alcohol, uh, what came to his mind that he remembered that there uh, was an exhibition of snake charming. And so he thought he would go into the snake pit and cages and take out the snakes and do the same thing in his absolute folly. And so he, first of all, uh, took out a particular snake and... He uh, fondled it, handled it, and fortunately, it did not rise to bite him. And someone else says, put that snake back. And so he put it back into the cage. But he wasn't done yet. And he grabbed a cobra. Now, this cobra, due to living in London in the fog and damp, uh, was not very alert because it needs heat to get it. Uh, inspired and active. And what did this man do? He laid the cobra on his breast, on his chest, and the heat of his body began to warm up this reptile. And then he took it by the tail, and he was going to swing it around his head, as he had seen these Egyptian snake charmers do. And uh, while he was doing that, the snake just came right up, looked at him in the eyes, and bit him right on the forehead, dug his fangs right into his face. And this man knew, even though he was drunk, he says, I'm a dead man. And the other zookeeper that was there, he ran. He didn't even stop to come to his help. He just ran. Well, eventually they got this man into some form of transport, took him off to hospital. And the account of the impact of that venom that had Uh, gotten into his blood is absolutely staggering. First of all, his speech went and they could only point to his poor throat and moan. And then his vision failed him. He wasn't able to see. And lastly, his hearing, all his senses one by one just disappeared. His pulse gradually sank. And in one hour, From the time that he was struck by that snake, he was a corpse. He was gone. Now, wouldn't it have been good news if someone could have said to him, look, if you look on this brass object that you can live, but if you don't look, you're gone. You're dead. You see, the purpose of the cross and your need to be a Christian, to be saved from sin is because of what sin is doing to you. Sin, what's it going to do to you? Well, it blinds you. It dulls your hearing. It takes away your senses. And the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were no longer sensitive to the voice of God. The voice of God was fearful to them. And all their spiritual faculties were ruined. And in an instant, they were cast out. And you may have learned that little catechism. What happened? When Adam and Eve sinned, they were subject to sorrow, toil, and death.